Welcome to What Is It About the Weather, a weekly podcast where we explore the many ways that weather intertwines itself into our lives. I'm your host, Mark Jelinek. And before we get too deep into this week's episode, I want to take a moment and let you know, if you haven't already figured out, that I'm using a different microphone. I'm traveling this week, and I apologize if the audio levels are a little different. Hopefully the sound quality is reasonable. I realize there's going to be some differences. I had done a full recording before I left, and it actually used the wrong microphone in doing that one. So doing a little modify on the fly, if you will. So the next two episodes might sound a little different. But we'll push on through and back to normal kind of mid-July. All right. So this week we're going to be talking about quality of weather forecast and weather. They've gotten worse recently. You, know, you always hear me talking about things that might be driving it to get better, but maybe that's not always the case. But before we jump into that main topic, as always, you know, I like to talk a little weather things in my world. But it was more of a... Well, I guess it's kind of a weather thing. You know, we a few weeks back we were talking about, you know, Twister came up. And still probably my favorite weather movie. And certainly the main male lead in, in that movie is Bill Paxton. Many of you know that already, if you've ever seen it. But I had kind of a Bill Paxton moment. Kind of a full circle with him. So I watched that. And then almost immediately after, I was like, it's kind of thumbing through some movies. I hadn't seen in a while. Just felt like watching a classic movie. And oddly enough, I picked up The Terminator. Now, people think of Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of when they think of The Terminator. For anybody that's you know seen it, theoretically, that's who they think of first. But Bill Paxton played kind of a critical role in that very early day in his career. And he, but he played the main punk, so it was the, this little gang of guys that Schwarzenegger, when he first comes to the planet, he's walking down the street naked, you know, runs into. And I'd forgotten that. I was reminded of that, had a good chuckle, and so I was thinking, okay, well, Twister, I, I mean, I know it's kind of, it's fiction, but in a way, given that it's about a science topic, it's sort of science fiction, but you really wouldn't call it a science fiction movie necessarily. It's action sort of movie. So I think of Terminator as being a true sci-fi movie. So he went from weather to sci-fi, but then it, it wasn't two days later. So watch another classic movie, Aliens. And in that movie, he goes kind of, you know, off-planet sci-fi. But Aliens, the whole premise is about a company that does terraforming on this remote planet. So in theory, he went back to weather. So, I don't know, sort of a bizarre sort of moment with Bill Paxton. But, so he went weather, loosely sci-fi, to full sci-fi, to sci-fi with weather. So, you know, it's, all, it's kind of the, the whole weather sci-fi circle. Okay, enough about this kind of obscure weather-related thing. So I also had this other moment where storm chasing. Those of you that know me at all and have heard me talk about it before. I, I'm not one of those people that has had an opportunity to go do what I call real storm chasing, but when it presents itself to me, I like to do it. I enjoy it. You know, when some stuff's going on around me, I might, you know, track it down a little bit. But it's been a while with, with everything going on since I've really had any what I would call weather that I like. And so I was out doing kind of a, an outdoorsy sort of uh, weekend day, so done a little canoeing and was going to do some bike riding but the weather was coming in so you know I didn't I, we didn't want to end up in a situation where we were going to be 
you know, out caught in the rain. So we ended up kind of doing a hike on a, on a beach. So there's this nice state park. It's got about an eight mile stretch, which is why we were going to ride at bikes out there. But we were walking along the beach and, you know, these storm clouds started gathering in the distance and, you know, decided to make the move, went back to the car, but didn't rain. And it was kind of one of those things where you really just sort of let down. So I insisted on driving until we found the storms. And so we did find some storms. Actually, it, it ended up being really good. I'll use one of the photos from that storm as kind of the cover art on the Patreon page if you want to go look at it. But it's kind of fun. Now, the very next day, I didn't even have to leave my apartment. And it happened, but I'll cover that one in a future episode. Maybe I'll hit that next week. But I had good lightning strikes in, in both of these storms, and it was just the first time in a while where I'd had some good lightning. And that ended up tying into something else that I saw this week. And there's a group, maybe you've heard of it, it's called the, the WMO, or the World Meteorological Organization, and they track a lot of stuff. They do a lot of global work not surprisingly given the name in the meteorological space but you don't really think of them as being necessarily a record keeper but when we talked about for instance the the extreme weather last week the 100 degree weather they would be responsible for validating that measurement but they do it for other things as well it's not just you know we we, we quite often when we start thinking about climate and that's kind of where they get thrown into it you know keeping these long records where you're looking at the globe and you really want to make sure you have a solid record so when you're doing analysis or research you have as much validated to work with as possible the more robust the better but they also track things like unique weather events and they had some stuff that had to do with lightning and two kind of new records that they certified. One had to do with the longest lasting lightning strike. And it was something like, it was I want to say it was like 16 seconds. I know it was above 10. I don't remember what the final number was. And the second one had to do with the longest measured horizontal distance that a lightning flash had covered. And it was over 700 kilometers, over 400 miles. That's just incredible to me. But what caught my attention more than any one, either one of those things was the fact that it happened in South America. Both things happened in South America. You, know, you hear all the time about storm chasing in the U.S. or maybe other parts around the globe where you think about these very intense sort of lightning storms. But it, South America is not what comes to mind. So I was really kind of surprised to see that both of them were there. right? But that's where they took place. Kind of an interesting sort of side note any case, I'll put a link in the show notes to the certification so you can go take a look at it. All right, well, let's get to the main topic. Our weather forecast getting worse. So why in the world would we even be talking about this? Well, this came up a lot during kind of the, the early days of COVID when you saw a big drop in airplane activity. And again, people looking for news stories, looking for a little different angle. I started seeing some of these stories come up. And so I started getting questions, right? People asking me, help me understand this. What's, what's really going on? And is this true? Are weather forecasts really getting worse? So let's break it down a little bit and talk about, you know, what's, the, what's I guess, the premise of what they're suggesting. Well, the premise is pretty straightforward. Fewer aircraft 
aircraft flying. And, and again, I'm talking jet airplanes, commercial aviation airplanes. Would how would that lead to worse forecasts, or does it lead to worse forecasts? And you might go, huh, I don't, I don't get it. Well, this all has to do with something called the Aircraft Meteorological Data Relay Network. And this was formed, I think, in the late 90s. You'll, excuse me if I don't have the number in front of me, but I know it was in the 90s. And there's about 40-plus airlines that are involved. But it, in short, it means millions of observations every day from airplanes and at first glance you may go well okay that's great but don't we have other ways of measuring data and yes the answer is sure we do but it's there's a couple key things to keep in mind right and probably the first idea that we need to grasp hold of and remember is weather is three-dimensional we so often think about just the weather that's impacting us at the surface and maybe when we're watching a thunderstorm, for instance, we think about the weather being up into the atmosphere, but we're so worried about how it's impacting us that we don't necessarily think about the fact that it's this big flowing motion in 3D space. Or we, we, we lose sight of that, I guess. And you got to remember that, okay, so therefore it's important to get data related to the weather and how the weather's behaving, not only at the surface, near the surface but up above and yes we've got some ways that we've been doing that for a very long time weather balloons is an example of that but right away you can think about the fact that weather balloons are generally launched over land and you know it's just not a good chunk of the globe or you know there's nobody in the middle of the mountains launching a weather balloon every day or the middle of the desert for that matter Now, we do have satellites, and that is what most of the weather models have been using for many years now, is in ingesting the vast amount of satellite-derived weather data. But it's always good to have in Sintour ground truth measurements. We get them on the surface. No, no problem with that. We've got weather stations all over the place. They give us valid readings, and we know we've got that. We've got weather balloons. But airplanes fill a big gap. One, they're kind of constantly measuring, and but the space they cover is drastically bigger than what you can get with weather balloons or a single weather balloon. You can think about it. It's just going up, and yeah, it measures it, but it's not flying a pattern. And yeah, it, it is true that, that airplanes aren't going to get every elevation. You know, they have flight levels, and so there's a lot of flight levels that it's maybe a more narrow strip where the vast majority of the planes, these big planes, fly. But that's useful information as well. When you think about how many planes fly certain patterns where winds behave a certain way, it's good for us to know how that is. But all of the data they get, whether it's near the ground or whether it's at cruising altitude, fill voids that we just wouldn't have otherwise. And while we may count on the satellites to give us that kind of grid-looking information, nicely spaced, it's still interpretive. They're not doing a direct measurement. So this data can be very good at helping us calibrate and find errors as much as it is the data itself. So both components become equally important. So as you can imagine, when somewhere between 60 to 90 percent of the commercial flights were being grounded, 
that we were losing vast amounts of information. Just vast amounts of information. Okay. So then your premise, you know, we got to go back to it and say, okay, we've got this idea. Now we understand why it might matter. But is it really significant, right? How bad could it really be? And will it impact me directly? Or is this, I mean, is this kind of one of those things where it's up in the sky, if you will? Doesn't really matter to me. So certainly it's going to be dependent on who you are and where you are, whether it really matters. But the projections are somewhere in the range of 20% reduction in quality of weather forecasts are happening because of all the grounding of these airplanes. Now, will it impact you? Will it be to that level? Will it matter? You know, you think about a weather forecast, and if you're only interested in the temperature, a couple degrees difference may not be a big problem for you. But for certain industries, for certain locations, for certain areas that have more weather sensitivity, or the difference between maybe the timing of a weather front, or the amount or possibility of precipitation, could be meaningful. Now, what we don't know is whether that's going to pan out. Is it really going to be a 20% reduction, or is that just an, well, it's, it's like a weather forecast. It's an estimate. But that's what we've got to work with. So what will be more interesting is if after this, we're able to go back and analyze the quality of the forecast, and we should be able to. You know, you, you look for the statistics showing you when the flights pick back up, did we see a dip in the performance of these weather models, and did they come and bounce back, or did we not, and to what degree? And like much of what we're learning during you know, the COVID time, it can be a, a learning point for going forward. So airplanes are the primary thing, but it's not the only thing that was impacting the quality of weather forecast during the initial days of the pandemic and as we move forward. Another area is ships. Now, yes, ships for many, many years have been gathering weather data around the globe. Not as prominent as it once was, not necessarily used by the weather models as much as that aircraft data is. We've got weather buoys that now fill most of the need for the, kind of that surface area data that we might used to get from ships over the oceans. But ships are also one of the primary ways that, well, people that maintain those buoys get to them to do maintenance on them, or research get to researchers get to different parts of the globe to do the analysis they need to use. So maybe ships are more important when you start thinking about not so much day-to-day -day weather forecasting, but when we think of the quality of the weather models going forward, or people that do maybe more ocean-related data analysis. But let's not forget, and we've talked about this before, that you know the oceans and atmosphere are very tied to one another. So what we understand about the oceans, so what those buoys are gathering in terms of data constantly around the globe do impact our weather forecast. Maybe, not, again, not so much day-to-day, -day, maybe some of the longer range data. But what is important to keep in mind with all of these components is the better we start, or better our starting point and our reference point, the more accurate it is, the more highly defined it is, the better that forecast is going to be over the long run. So maybe day one, day two, you're not seeing the level of errors that could multiply 
as that error level becomes more pronounced at a sensitive point in the weather forecast going forward. I'm going to put some things in the show notes. One of the things I wanted to put, I'm going to put in there though, and I want to introduce you to if you're not familiar with it, there's a program called Comet that it's a group that does outreach out of UCOR, and maybe you've heard me mention, well, I have mentioned them before, but they do a program called MedEd. And the MedEd program, the reason I wanted to bring it up is one of the you know questions I get from folks time and time again is, I've got a kid who's interested in weather, or I'm interested in, in weather at a basic level, but is there some way I can get started just increasing my understanding? Because, you know, maybe you read something like the Capital Weather Gang in the Washington Post, or maybe you watch the Weather Channel and you get some basics, but it's not enough, or you want a little more science behind things, but not too much to get overwhelmed. Well, the MedEd program is something that's been around for a long time, and I bring it up because they have a nice thing that overviews how we get these weather data components. They had a, a whole module on the airplane data program. So I'm going to put that link in the show notes so that you can go in there and you'll find that if you have somebody that has that high weather interest, they'll be able to go there, get that information, not just on this specific topic, but some other ones as well. So I thought it would be a good time to bring it up. Who knows? Maybe you have a buddy meteorologist in your family. I don't know. Well, Fireworks are going off around me, so it's time for me to spend some time enjoying the 4th of July weekend here in the States. Hopefully you are as well. Hopefully your weather is cooperating. Hopefully it's giving you an opportunity to learn a little something more about how weather works itself into your life. And think about it in a different way, an entertaining way, an education way, an informative way. So until next time, when we speak again, Let's remember, as always, there's much more to weather than the weather itself.